Good morning, good afternoon. I never know what time it is for you who are listening. You've tuned in to Mindful Conversations with Matt and Rob. Hello. So good to have you tune in, and it's so good to be back here in the illustrious studio (laughs) with my good friend, Dr. Rob Cook, back in Richland, Michigan. That's where we're at. The band is back. Definitely. You know, we were talking before starting the the episode today, and um, it was way back in early May that we laid down episode 29, so it's been a long journey. It has been a long journey. We've been um, in other parts of the world. Yes, to Europe and back. Yep, and and I got to give a shout out to Rafi. And Roxy, his wife. And Roxy's wife, yep, our, our sound engineer. It was so nice when we... Uh, when we recorded episode 30 on the seeking authenticity and identity in Germany and Europe um, with his help, his the sound engineer, we need to recruit him to come to the States. <laughs> we, we won't be able to give him anything other than chocolate and, and good food. I think he's going to need more than that. He might need more <laughs> than that. But uh, yeah, we had a great time in Germany. We did. What was your, because Rob and I, if you're tuning in, Rob and I got an opportunity to go over to uh, Freudenstadt, Germany, just south of Frankfurt, and we were teaching a family studies course uh, at the European Theological Seminary, Yeah, and um, it was a two-week class. Dr. Rob taught week one. I taught week two. And um, both Sandy, his wife, and my wife got to go with us, and we got to do some fun things. We did. And uh, just a fantastic experience. It was. It was. Uh, Great students, great faculty and staff at the seminary. It was a really enjoyable, I would say, productive time. Yeah. So we both uh, took a, a side trip to Switzerland. What was your favorite experience on the Switzerland portion of your of your journey with Sandy. This won't come as a surprise to you, but just hiking around the mountains. Yeah. You know, um, being a part of something that is clearly bigger than we are. Yeah. And walking through that. um, Grindelwald was a beautiful little community, you know, kind of centrally located. And that proved to be a really good spot for us just to, hike and you know go out our on our balcony and sit in the evening and just watch the mountains and mm-hmm. the sky mm-hmm. and the people it was a lot of fun i would say that was my favorite yeah yeah and this was your 40th anniversary <laughs> yes. uh, of marriage yes and you got to have i believe it was during your trip when you were in switzerland that you celebrated the 40th yes we did and um well it wasn't quite it was close okay. not quite when we were in switzerland we actually celebrated it traveling back but okay got it got but, it you know for us we seldom celebrate things on the date in which they actually occur I, I get it yep and um you told me that it is tradition to celebrate at culver's <laughs> that would be high end <laughs> <laughs> so, so going to grindelwald switzerland was like super high end <laughs> super high end fantastic yeah yeah, the trip for me probably started off at the airport when I got a, I got to, my rental car was um, a BMW M3 
340, so 340 horsepower on the Autobahn and uh, got to drive um, in sections of the Autobahn, you know, like, you know, our, our, our interstates that we drive on have points where you don't have a speed limit. Right. And so get in the left lane, um, jack it up to about 120 miles an hour. And um, thankfully for my wife, she allowed me to do that a couple of times. Uh, but yeah, we also enjoyed Grindelwald. Beautiful scenery, beautiful hikes, beautiful mountains. It was fantastic. It is. Well, we're back here today, and the topic of our mindful conversation is what? Something that many of us are talking about today, um, not just in the States, but around the world, and that is narcissism. Yeah. Yeah, we have decided uh, for this episode um, to just have a conversation about what narcissistic tendencies, behaviors, personalities are. And uh, we have both been listening to a psychiatrist, psychologist out in California. I think Californians are, are really well educated on narcissism. <laughs> this is by their own, you know, admission. Yeah, yeah. Um, but Dr. Rami, and she's with Med Circle. She has her own practice, but we're referring to some of her material. But I like what she said to open up a, uh, a video that I watched um, on Med Circle that narcissism is like the secondhand smoke of our culture. Yes. Yeah. With technology being utilized the way it is today, um, we have and continue to produce a generation or generations where the narcissism is on steroids. I think it's always been a part of the human condition, but now it's, a really distinctive feature. Yeah, and what what we want to do in this conversation is we're we're not diagnosing, we're not really teaching, we're we're just exploring the characteristics of human personality. Yeah. And um you know, again, I am around a lot of different people and I kind of hear the word um narcissism, narcissistic thrown around a lot. Kind of like OCD, like obsessional, you know, compulsive disorder. And so we do throw terms around fairly casually. Yes. And I think what I'd like to do is to say there are some real evidence for a narcissistic person who's in your life. I know I've got one that is top of mind. Um, It's a disorder. In the, in the case of my experience, and then I've just had people who were maybe narcissistic. Yeah, I think I think your point is valid between the disorder, narcissistic personality disorder, and the characterological traits that people can exhibit that lean towards narcissism. Mm-hmm. So how do we want to navigate the first part of this conversation? Do we want to, you know, one one route we can go is just identify when we are thinking diagnosis, we can go to the DSM-5, Diagnostic Manual for mm-hmm. for evaluation of what a, a, a criteria or a list of criteria are to substantiate that a person is diagnosable. And I like doing that because I don't like diagnosing, but I do like understanding the criteria that would meet some of that. 
So maybe let me just brief through that okay. list. And and then we do a deeper dive. That sounds like a plan. Yeah. Um, so these are going to be nine criteria that are referenced whenever we're talking about narcissism. Um, so the idea of being grandiose and in the sense of self-importance, that's number one. Um, number two, being preoccupied with fantasy of unlimited success, power, brilliance, beauty, ideal love. Three, the belief that he or she is special and unique and can only be understood by or should associate with other special high-status people or institution. Four, the need for excessive admiration. Put an asterisk by that. That's a, that's a big one. Mm-hmm. The need for admiration or affirmation. The need for that. Five, the sense of entitlement. Six, interpersonally explorative behavior, like exploiting others for self-advantage. Seven, lack of empathy. That's another big one. Eight, envy of others or belief that others are envious of him or her. And then finally, nine, demonstration of arrogant and haughty behavior or attitude. That's a pretty scary list. So, I mean, (laughs) there's the context when I'm thinking about somebody who is narcissistic in my, on my radar, in my sphere of relationship, yeah, relationship and family relationship at, you know, at work, you know, relationships and community, whatever the, the network context is. The reality is as I've grown healthier, thanks to you, Dr. Rob, (laughs) I have grown more mature. Um, I'm able to be more self-aware. Yeah. I can identify because once I'm in that bubble of, of self awareness, then I think I can see when others aren't healthy and I can, in a sense, protect myself, not from them, but hold on to what I believe is true about me. Yeah. That's, you know, depending upon what model of emotional intelligence, that's the, usually the first mark of emotional intelligence. I have self awareness and other awareness and specifically, I understand how I'm impacting them and they're impacting me. To your point, you can take evasive measures. You can protect yourself and not allow them to manipulate changes in you Yeah, yeah, that are unhealthy. But there's a lot of people that I know of that I think is it's just common where we don't have a level of maturity and we don't know that we are that susceptible to a narcissistic person. Yeah. Could be a parent. A pastor. Pastor, aunts, uncles, friends. friends. Yeah. Um, really, it could come from anywhere. And I think in this conversation, I want to help our listeners be able to inventory, is that person that, as you're listening to this, starting to check some of those boxes? Maybe not all of them. DSM-5 says you got to have five of the nine checked to be considered a narcissist, but we're not doing that. We're just saying if any of these are clicking, you want to be conscious. Yeah, you want to be aware. It doesn't mean you're necessarily terminating relationships or something like that, but obviously the more aware I am, the more mature I am, to your point about awareness, then I can navigate those waters. And in, in just a little bit, we're going to be using the acronym CRAVES, right? Yeah, Dr. Remy's 
Yep. And we're going to use that as a means to really understand. But first, when you look at this list that from the DSM-5, is there one of these nine that really stand out to you? Um, that's a really good question. The, the obvious one would be a grandiose sense of self-importance. That's the obvious one. For me, the one that stands out is the lack of empathy. Me too. Yep. Because I think the lack of empathy, if I had to wager a guess, it would get my vote for the one trait of a narcissist that does the most damage. Bingo. Okay, let's describe what empathy is. Empathy is the ability to have compassion, understanding some other individual's emotion, how they're feeling, Mm -hmm. how they're, um, mostly how they're feeling, but understanding the behavioral link between feeling and action, right? Yeah. I understand why you're doing what you're doing. I have empathy. You've just lost someone you love or, you know, you got to, a raise at work or I have the ability to kind of track you emotionally and match that appropriately. Um, I'm sad when you're sad. I'm happy when you're happy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And empathy versus sympathy. Yes. I've often heard um, compared as well, sympathy. I'm, I'm sorry that you fell off your bike and broke your leg. Really sucks to be you. (laughs) Yes. Whereas empathy might be related to something I've also experienced. Maybe I suffered a painful accident and I can really relate to the feeling of what it would be like for you to have that broken leg and like really help you feel my feeling of sorrow. Like, wow, that is really horrible. I, I don't know what it means to be in your pain right now, but I've been there. Yeah, I think she, I think that's what we're talking about. Empathy is kind of a shared experience emotionally yeah. or similar. You know, I broke my arm, you broke your leg. I know what it's like to have a limb that's been broken. Mm-hmm. Not the same, but I have empathy for you yeah. and your pain. Well, I, I've lost my, my father and brother. Both died, you know, father at 62, brother at 38, both from cancer. You know, I can be empathetic with people who have lost parents or yep. siblings. Yep. You know, I was there at my brother's, you know, while he was dying. I changed his diaper. Yeah. Right. I washed his feet. Yeah. You know, I was there in the midst of that. I can sit with someone who's cared for a loved one in those intimate ways. And I, I can understand them. Yeah. That's it. From my own personal experience. Yeah. That's a deeper connection between two people versus, Oh, it sucks to be you. Yeah. Yeah. And so when, when you start thinking about relationships in your life, we need empathy. Oh, definitely. I need people in my life that like are sensitive to what I'm sharing in terms of pain or difficulty. Yeah. Or joys and joy. Yeah. Happiness, you know, successes. And, but when someone, dis, when I feel dismissed when I'm sharing a pain or a difficulty, 
I don't blame that person. And I'm not even calling that person narcissistic. Right. Because just because you're not empathetic right. doesn't mean you're narcissistic. Remember that. You need five of these nine. Yeah. And we're focusing on we're focusing on the one that you and I think is the most um, problematic. Yeah. I think it does the most damage because empathy is an important uh, feature of maturity and intimacy. Yeah. You can't have intimacy without empathy. Yeah. I would argue. Right. I think the other big one, as I did an asterisk by, was the excessive need for admiration or validation. Yeah, that's enough talk about me. Let, let's talk about my new book yeah. kind of thing, right? The guy that one-ups you. Yeah, right. right. You, know, you know, so you share a story that's really meaningful to you, and you've just laid out your heart, your guts. <laughs> yes. And then they share their story. <laughs> Don't you hate guys like that? I hope I'm, maybe I am that guy. I don't know. Make sure you let me know. But, I would. But it's, but it's like, I'm not listening to you. I'm while I'm listening to you, I'm getting my story yes. queued up that when you stop breathing <laughs> and speaking the words, I'm going to rush right in. Yeah. You know, someone like that. I do. Yeah. But no, this is the guy, the girl that really needs validation and and the particular person that I'm thinking of that has been the clinical narcissist in my life absolutely fulfilled this one. Yeah. Absolute unhealthy. And I remember how confused I was because I was very ignorant to the concept of personality disorder. Mm -hmm. We are talking about a personality disorder when we talk about the clinical diagnosis yes. versus a mood state disorder like bipolar. Yeah. Although you can have some grandiose, you know, manic episodes in a, in a mood state disorder. But when it comes to personality, like borderline personality disorder, yeah. narcissistic personality disorder, we're talking about something that's very specific and you're going to feel confused Yeah, around people like this. Yeah, I would say that all of us on some level have we'll say pathological character traits many times it does not elevate itself to a diagnos a diagnosable disorder mm-hmm. you know the, the people who have a diagnostic of narcissism or narcissistic personality disorder are probably not the major majority of the people yeah they say research says somewhere on three to five percent are yeah. diagnosed but i think that number is much higher because guess what? Narcissists do not want to come out of the shadows of their disorder. Yeah. yeah. And because they don't want to be, they don't believe they're wrong. Well, yeah, they don't, yeah, that's just, that's the reason why. If you don't think you have a problem, you're not going to treat it, right? Mm-hmm. You know, the first step in AA with addiction is you have to admit that you're powerless against something. Absolutely. And narcissist personality disorder, they don't admit to there's not the problem isn't with them the problem is with everybody else yes exploiting others for personal gain so narcissists use people as tools yes that was number six yeah it's like okay yep you're using me as a means to your end and it may be subtle or it may be over yeah. The reality is I'm feeling like this is wrong. Yeah. I'm feeling taken advantage of. Well, and generally, you know, the brain is, we talk about it all the time. 
the two primary responsibilities is to protect and to connect. Yeah. And that protection involves connection. Yeah. So if you're feeling that, it's worth paying attention to. So just in summary for this first picture of narcissistic tendency, yeah, low empathy, um, I tend to need validation, admiration, um, look at me, um, entitlement. Yep, that's what I was just thinking. Right. Um, Excessive admiration. Yeah, and then the idea that I am going to be using people around me for my own gain. That could be personal gain. That could be corporate gain. But the key is I need to succeed. Not right. We, not we. No. It's not we get to succeed. Like it's it's I need to succeed and I'm going to use you. So now people in these systems are, um, they are, what's the word? I can do away with them. You know, they're expendable. Oh, like nowadays it's cancel culture. It's right. I can delete you out of my life. Like I no longer matter. You know, my wife and I now retired. She's retired from the Kellogg company. We want to become um, asset brokers. Yeah. Of people who are dismissed by organizations. Yes. And validate the talent that these individuals possess. Yes. And like broker them into healthy spaces where their, their gift is recognized and they as a person is recognized. Yeah. Because people don't work for money. They work for a purpose. Right. They work for um, the meaning of I have something to provide. Well, a healthy person I think works for. Yeah. Like I exist on this planet for a reason. And I'm looking for somebody to validate that I have something of worth. Yeah. Versus the narcissistic, which is more common in culture, corporate culture, where people are used. Yeah. We talked a lot about that in the Abuse of Power series. Yeah. The organization, organizations can have these narcissistic future features too, I would argue. Yeah. Usually though, um, if you believe some of the leadership literature, it's a lot of CEOs and pastors are narcissistic. Yeah. Many of them are diagnosable. Yeah. Let's talk now, maybe turn the corner to the types of narcissistic personalities. I think there's four. Yeah. Um, do you want to go over those? The They're different. They go by different names, but um, grandiose narcissist i think of this as the garden variety which is basically i'm better than you and i know it a lot of times they'll say we all know it (laughs) um the malignant narcissist this uh for me is what i consider um in some of the criminal justice literature an an escalating narcissist these are individuals who will do whatever it takes and they can be very mean-spirited. Um, the malignant narcissist uh, takes no prisoners, if mm-hmm, you will. Mm-hmm. Um, you have the covert narcissist, and this is sometimes you'll see where people, um, they kind of telegraph that I'm a great artist, but the world hasn't recognized it yet. You'll hear that metaphor thrown around uh, frequently that you just don't recognize how talented I really am. And it's unfortunate for you. Mm -hmm. Right. And then you have the, 
uh, communal narcissist, which is the fourth one. And these are individuals that typically have a lot of resources and they flaunt them. They're using their resources to help others so that they get the accolades that are typically bestowed on individuals who are helping others. The difference is they are obvious in the way they help others, where most people who are authentically concerned about others don't care about who gets the credit. They just want to alleviate pain or suffering or whatever it may be. Yeah, like don't let your right hand know what your left yes. hand is doing. Yes. Right, don't yes. flaunt the the act of charity yes. concept, right? Right. I think somebody said that. Yes, I think somebody did in a very old book. <laughs> and um, definitely the one that is, they're all toxic to relationship. But from my experience, the one that is more dangerous than the others is the malignant or the escalating narcissist because they really generally don't stop at too much mm-hmm. in terms of getting their way. And if you get in their way, they're they're going to they're going to deal with you. Um, they'll eradicate you in some way. You know, if if you could speak to the issue of like is this is is narcissistic tendency more um, prevalent with men versus women? The literature would say that uh, Dr. Remy, Remy says that as well. The problem is that women are catching up, so so it's it's not so easy to say nowadays that men are more narcissistic than women, although I believe that to be true. I think the literature reflects that. But nowadays, uh, I'm like in our practice here at the center, I think that we still see more narcissistic men, but it's not atypical any longer to address or deal with a narcissistic female. Mm -hmm. What, would it look like to be in a relationship with a narcissist like in marriage and let's go ahead and let's say the husband is the 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 narcissist what kind of things would we expect to experience from someone who is narcissistic in in a marriage relationship well i think uh dr remy's um craved is a really good uh, framework for answering that question. Um, so the C is conflict. When when you have a diagnosable or they're heavily leaning towards a narcissistic tendency, regardless of what label or brand or, or type of the four we're talking about, there's a lot of conflict. And they will create, they thrive on it. Uh, and it's never their problem. It's always your problem. You're at fault. There's a rigidness about them, which she says is the R, right? Um, they're not, they don't negotiate. Compromise, cooperation, uh, collaboration is not a quality that a true narcissist would possess. Mm-hmm. 
they they're not going to they're not going to cooperate with you. Well, I, I think of the sea, the conflict. You know, when I think of marital conflict, it's it's two people, as we've stated on this program before, yeah, who have differing ways of seeing something, yeah, and the be the ability to be able to seek to understand the other person's point of view to such a point that the other person feels validated, even when their partner doesn't agree with them, they at least validate their point. That's exactly right. That doesn't happen. That doesn't happen with a narcissist. No. The narcissist is probably going to keep beating down your perspective and make you feel that your point is wrong, but ultimately you are wrong. That's gaslighting. It is gaslighting. It'd be like me saying to you, well, you know, your point is stupid, Matt. It, it doesn't make any sense. You need to get on board with yeah. and then fill in the blank, right? Yeah. It's the gaslighting. It's um, it's the belittling, yeah. uh, the minimizing, if you will. Um, so this is the R. This is where that, that, that narcissist becomes yeah. rigid in conflict and is not movable. No. no there's, not, there's no pliability or equality in the relationship. I think of it as there's a complete lack of openness. Mm. Even even a relatively immature individual understands that okay, there are two sides to this story, this conflict. A narcissist, that's not even up for negotiation. Yeah. You're at fault and you're locked. Yeah. You're rigid. Um, A is antagonism. They will provoke a fight. And, and I see this in our practice where you're, you're living with someone like in the context of marriage and the, and the male always seems like they're looking for a fight. Um, you know, you'll sometimes hear people say, oh, I'm going to the bar. I hope I get into a fight. Well, that's kind of what they do. They're just always ready to fight you. Uh, and there's a certain amount of, I, I don't like this word, but it's, the best way I can think of it, there's a certain amount of satisfaction that they take in the antagonism Yeah, where again, reasonably healthy person, I don't want to fight with you. You know, I want to either avoid it or I want to resolve it, but I don't, I don't want to fight with you. A narcissist, they'll, they'll say, bring it. Yeah. I'm thinking of the abuse wheel. Yes, the power wheel from Minnesota. Yeah, yeah in terms the of domestic violence. Domestic yeah. violence. And, you know, I think so much of that criteria gets met here. Yeah. In terms of psychological, emotional abuse, and oftentimes physical abuse, where because it's so psychologically um, distorting, yes, I, the, the victim becomes, you know, in a sense, unaware of how abusive the relationship has become. Oh yeah, because a narcissist, they'll they'll do the mind games. So it's like you know, again, capitalizing on what are healthy character uh, character traits. You know, I'm open to the possibility that I'm wrong. When that attitude, I'm open to the possibility that I'm wrong, meets a narcissist. That's like fresh meat. They're going to seize that. And it's not you're open. It's you are wrong. Yeah. Well, what about you? What about me? There's no debate here. You're the one. That's this is the not wrong. about me. This is about you. You stated that you were wrong. Yeah. You yeah. Need, you need to bear the weight yeah. of this. Yeah. Yeah. 
And with domestic violence, um, I don't know if it's fair to say, you know, if there's a domestic violence relationship to narcissism, I think the literature makes that connection, but that, 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 that will probably be debated. But an escalating narcissist in my practice is usually the, the one or the malignant narcissist that I see most often leads to abuse, physical abuse with yeah. women. Yeah. So then she goes on to say the V, so you got C-R-A-V, the vindictiveness and vulnerability and victim. So there's an element of, and people don't understand this, it's not like the narcissist can't be vulnerable, but the vulnerability serves a purpose to the narcissist. So you and I are friends. Our vulnerability, our openness, our authenticity is mutually connecting us. Right. With a narcissist, the vulnerability isn't mutually connecting. Right. There's a purpose that it serves. Um, and and frequently, the vulnerability can be extended towards family members, you know, wife or kids. Mm -hmm. um, but outside of that circle, there is not, there won't, like we talked about earlier, there won't be empathy. Yeah. I, it, you know, the idea of intimacy is a two-way street. Yes. In, in a situation with a narcissist, there is no intimacy. No, it's pseudo-intimacy. It's pseudo and it's conditional. Yes. Right? That person, the narcissist, is going to make you feel like the victim. Yes. Um, he's going to use or she's going to use the vulnerability to their advantage. Remember, I'm going to exploit you. Yep. For my gain. So I'm going to use something that's good yep. and I'm going to pervert it. Right. Cause I want to steal everything I can from you. That's yeah. good. And make sure that you're under a psychological control of my will. Yeah. Yeah. That's the victim. Somehow you're victimizing me, Yeah, but I'm manipulating that for my purpose. Yeah. This is, um, this is not easy stuff. To your original question, if you're living with a diagnosable narcissist, you've got your work cut out for you. Um, and it is, uh, if, if there is such a thing as purgatory, it would be purgatory. Uh, because it's never, it's never collective. It's never mutual. It's never collaborative. Um, and humans aren't designed no. for that one-way street kind of thing. We're, all relationships are supposed to be, healthy relationships especially, are supposed to involve what I think of are the mutuals, mutual respect, mutual submission, mutual trust, um, mutual understanding, um, you know, mutual give and take. It's, it's, I may not get my way completely, you may not get your way completely. That's the... Uh, um, you know, the collaboration, but we both walk away better because of it. The mutuals don't exist in a narcissistic relationship. Yeah, I would push that replay button like the 15 seconds back, hit that a couple times, go back and listen to what Dr. Rob just shared in regard to those mutuals. That represents a healthy relationship whether that's with a boss a child a spouse yes right 
the mutuals are the key to healthy human relationship. Totally. And, and they're very biblical. You'll see in the New Testament, those mutuals that the authors of the New Testament focused on those mutuals. Um, and so does the psychological literature and family systems literature. And remember, people, this doesn't mean you have to agree with each other. This is not conformity. Right. <laughs> Don't com- Yes. This is about just human beings being able to respect one another. Yep. I don't yep. have to agree no. Like with everybody. I just need to be distinct in my own identity and not try to form people in my own image. That's exactly right. I can respect the... Di- it's actually the differences. You know, if you take design, you need... And I'm not a design specialist, but you need color differences to make distinctions. It helps create the mood. Well, differences in people do the same thing. I I don't want to hang with a bunch of people who are wired like me. That diversity adds color and flavor and texture into the design. The key is maturity. And, and narcissists, it's however they get there. And there's a lot of opinions about that. However they get there, whatever causes that, if you will, um, it's not about the mutuals. Yeah, when you finish Craved, I want to speak to just the the point about why the narcissist has given to this tendency. Okay. But why don't we finish E and D? Okay, uh, Dr. Rami goes on to say that E is entitlement or explosiveness. Um, there's a great deal of entitlement. You see that with a covert narcissist. The world doesn't recognize how great I am. Um, I'm entitled to this recognition. I'm entitled to this fame and fortune. I'm entitled to the job title. I need a title. I need the increase. I need to be recognized. I need admiration. I'm entitled to these things because people don't see how great I am. You don't get my story. Let me tell you what. You can't go with that person down that road. It doesn't lead anywhere good. No, it doesn't. Let me tell you, it's a trap. Yeah, you will call me by title or whatever. Um, and then uh, some of these overlap. She acknowledges that, but the D is uh, dysregulation. There's an explosiveness. There's an emotional manipulation. They're not healthy. People regulate their emotion. They don't try to eradicate them, but they they work at controlling them. Uh, narcissistic traits or narcissistic personality disorder are emotionally dysregulated. Um, and I think of it in terms of both overtly and covertly. Sometimes you see the emotion, many times you'll see the emotional dysregulation. Sometimes it's more internal. And they, you won't, feel the they won't take responsibility no, for it's it. It's very passive aggressive. They're going to pass it on to you. You're the yeah. reason why I'm upset. You are the reason why they, they delegate that responsibility. I and I alone am responsible for how I act, think and feel. Doesn't mean you don't influence me. That there won't be other influences, but I and I alone am responsible. I don't farm that responsibility out to my wife, my kids, my friends. So CRAVED, the acronym CRAVE, C-R-A-V-E-D. So conflict, rigidity, antagonism, vulnerability, victim, mentality, entitlement, dysregulation. A great way just to cross-evaluate self. Why don't you start with self? Yep. We always say that. Be self-aware. 
are any of these things active in my life, in my relationships? And then I want to access understanding. Now, the goal of this message is not to eradicate narcissism. No. It's, it's to be aware that it is going, it's a personality issue, but it's deeply rooted in insecurity. Yeah. Or, and traumatologists will say it's, it's deeply rooted in trauma. Yeah. You know, um, so the outward effect that you're seeing or experiencing in this person, it's deeply rooted. Like when you peel away the layers of the person's issues, if you ever get the chance with a narcissist to be able to do that because they don't like vulnerability. When you get down there, you're going to see a big hole, a big void of insecurity that they probably won't really know how to address. Right. Right. That is, that is a conventional, I would say wisdom, um, that the, the leading causes insecurity. I sometimes question that, um, not to go against conventional no, wisdom. On, push, push buddy, push, but, push against me. Go ahead. But it, it's, it's not humans are pathetic self-assessors. So I can see where that insecurity could be a deep cause. I also struggle with the fact that with the narcissists that I've met and worked with, the common denominator is they can do no wrong. They're not flawed people. Right. They don't believe they're flawed somehow. Yeah. They're superior. Yeah. And I, you know, to go really deep and say, well, all of that's a part of, um, the insecurity and they're covering for insecurity. That may be true. But part of me also thinks that, no, some of the people I've met, I don't know that they're insecure. I think that they're so arrogant that they actually believe their own press. Yeah. So I don't know exactly what it is or how they always get there. Trauma is going to do that. Obviously that's a suspicious candidate. Um, anytime you have a violation of, a deep relationship between parent and child, there's going to be consequences whether the adults want to recognize it or not. Mm-hmm. And then frequently, you know, parent our kids growing up with a narcissistic parent, that's modeled for them. Yeah. It's kind of scary too. It is. It's very it's very scary. But the the way we started this podcast and the way that we're going to end it is referencing narcissism is like secondhand smoke in our community. It only seems like it's getting worse. And we just want to have this conversation be active in our circles of influence where we're not condemning, we're recognizing who are these people in our lives. How is their pattern of behavior affecting us? What is our mutual right to be able to protect self? How do I advocate for self when others aren't doing that? And to yeah. be and to be successful living in these relationships. And if it is not tolerable, how do I navigate away from these? And that goes into a boundary. We don't have time today <laughs> yeah. to establish the safe boundaries that are needed. But the serious scenario of a married couple where you have a wife with a narcissistic husband and you find that you're exhausted, you're psychologically beaten and you, and you need out seek help. Yeah. You need a plan. 
you know, um, obviously the most problematic marriage is to an escalating or a malignant uh, narcissist. But regardless of what your decisions are, I think it's a good idea to have a plan and contingency plans for dealing with the challenges. Absolutely. Absolutely. So any closing thoughts, Dr. Rob, as we come to the close of our 45-minute episode on narcissism, the secondhand smoke of our our world? It's been 45 minutes already is my closing yes. thought. It goes by fast. Yes, sir. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for listening. Yeah. Yeah, it's been a pleasure, of course, being here with you and having you join us by listening in to Mindful Conversations with Matt and Rob. We appreciate you taking that time. We hope that this information is helpful, useful. Um, You can always reach out to us at Response Care Center uh, to let us know if there's something special that you would like us to cover. And uh, we hope that you have a wonderful day wherever that may lead you. Blessings. Blessings.